Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to an episode of Book Music. And I am Tosh. And I'm Kimley. And we have a very special guest. We don't have guests usually because we have offered authors to come on our show and they all have refused. <laughs> but um, our guests apparently did not hear about our reputation and he agreed to come on. <laughs> and we'd like to welcome Andrew Lampert. Hi, thank you. I'm delighted to be here we're delighted to have you here this sounds kind of sinister i didn't i didn't i I didn't realize that i was uh uh, such a rare catch you're our first guest ever wow thank you we're very excited no i have to tell i mean if you're a long time well not long we only did 15 shows now right yeah this is a 15 show so what we do we focus on books on music it could be books by musicians clean musicians memoir it could be about music history so people are saying, Andrew Lampert, what is the connection? You co-edited a book with Constance DeYoung, a book on of Tony Conrad's writings, brilliantly called Tony Conrad Writings, <laughs> which is a magnificent book. And uh, for the uh, and Andrew, can you tell the our our listeners who Tony Tony Conrad is? Yeah. Um... The book collects the writings of a guy named Tony Conrad. It is a man. Tony it is could a be man. A, Tony it could, could be a Actually, it's not Tony Basil. Tony Basil. Who um, is best known as a filmmaker, artist, and um, musician. Mm-hmm. Um, but, of course, he's done a lot of things, and even in that, say best known as those are like three very different uh categories um he's one of the so-called founders of the minimalist music stream that came out in the 1960s starting with the work he did with lamont young uh going out towards terry riley philip glass steve rush and whatnot um but he was very interested in playing durational drone music uh, from the early 60s. It was very mathematically um, sort of derived. He was a mathematician. or Harvard-trained uh, mathematician um, who had played violin since childhood. Um, and so he really brought math and music together in interests specifically with tuning systems. Um, and that in tandem with Lamont Young and Marianne Zazila and John Cale, mm-hmm. uh, they worked as uh, the Theater of Eternal Music and um, spent a lot of the early and mid-60s uh, performing daily uh, for hours at a time, playing and holding you know, one note. Uh, and, of course, this uh, becomes sort of the basis out of which uh, the Velvet Underground which he uh, suggested the name for, uh, emerged. And he himself was married to a woman named uh, Beverly Grant, who was one of the great stars of underground uh, cinema, uh, starring in works of uh, Ron Rice mm-hmm. and Jack Smith, mm-hmm. who was um, Tony's roommate. Mm-hmm. And so Tony's kind of at the epicenter of it all. And he goes from being a musician to filmmaker, um, having been given some roles of unexposed film stock by Jonas Mankus mm-hmm. and said, now Jonas said, now you're a filmmaker. Yes. Mm. And, uh, and you, we should point out, Andrew worked with Jonas Mankus at the uh, film anthology. Yeah. I was, I was for many years, the uh, archivist and then curator of collections at anthology from yes. archives in mm-hmm. New York city. Um, and in that capacity, I worked with Tony, uh, a lot mm-hmm. uh, presenting his work and preserving it, including the film I was just about to talk about, The Flicker, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which was his first film and which is his arguably best known film. Mm-hmm. Uh, 30 minutes of alternating black and white flickering patterns, which was uh, considered a real uh, landmark and still to this day of experimental cinema. Luna and I saw it. You, have, you haven't you seen, seen the film, have you? I seen saw it? little excerpts of it on YouTube, but yeah. I haven't seen the whole thing. It's a very um, experiential uh, yeah. type of film that uh, uh, still has the same overall effect on the viewers that it would have back then, yeah. which is that it creates... So it's a physical effect. It's a physical, perceptual yeah. effect. And he went on to explore flicker techniques in a number of other films um, and eventually um, moves out of filmmaking proper into 
kind of a meta filmmaking through material art practice. Mm-hmm. Um, he made a series of pickled films, pickling mm-hmm. film stock, mm-hmm. uh, sukiyaki, mm-hmm. uh, cooking film. Mm-hmm. Um, he had made a series of works. He advertised a show called, uh, uh, I think, 20 New Films. Mm-hmm. And when you went to the venue, it was... Um, emulsion painted on paper with black paint uh, outlining a uh, movie screen Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the idea being that over the course of time uh, the color will change Uh, and these are these sort of extensions metaphorically speaking of cinema Uh he showed them one night and then now they're collected by top museums around the world they're very nice. considered after the fact long after the fact mm-hmm. highly significant pieces of yeah. you know minimalist art uh-huh. um so tony has this bizarre career where he keeps being um uh shifting and adding careers so he's a musician he's a filmmaker he becomes a teacher first at antioch college in ohio then at the university of buffalo mm-hmm. um, where he's in the media study center alongside um, contemporaries like Hollis Frampton, Stana and Woody Vasulka, uh, Paul Sheritz are big wigs in the field of movie and image art and video art. Mm-hmm. Um, and he becomes kind of a um, anchor mm-hmm. of the Buffalo art scene, still maintaining a presence in New York and still being an influence upon people by and you know by and f- very far away, like Mike Kelly. Tony Ausler, who mm. he met in the late 1970s in mm. California. And uh, Tony's repertoire starts to include more uh, performance and then definitely video. Mm-hmm. And so he's doing this consistently from the 70s into the 80s. Um, and then by the mid to late 80s, early 90s, he's very heavily involved with making public access television mm-hmm. in Buffalo. And then... He gets rediscovered by the sort of far extensions of the indie rock and experimental music communities um, for a record that he made, uh, I think, in 1973. So they reissued the records? Somebody, or, the reissue uh, of uh, Outside the Dream Syndicate mm-hmm. by Tony Conrad and Krautrock uh, uh, underground legends Faust. Faust mm-hmm. yeah. And that resuscitated Tony's career. Hmm. as a uh, kind of elder of the scene experimental musician and right. for the rest of his life Tony uh, came back he had this comeback victory tour and uh, <laughs> became kind of a godfather of the scene right and throughout all of these things including in the last decade of his life finally recognition in the actual realm of art mm-hmm. art galleries art museums mm-hmm. um um, he passed in 2016 um, at age uh, 78. But throughout all of what I'm describing, this very up and down, all over the place career, he was writing. Right. Um, and Tony was a, a total, as you know, you read the book, Brainiac. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and writing on all types of things yeah. from music to film to video to. Foucault to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, critical theory. And um, these were published all over the place. Uh, little zines, cinema mm-hmm. journals, um, art uh, uh, magazines, uh, catalogs for other artists. And for those of us who knew him or were aware of him, nobody really ever thought of him as a writer, mm-hmm. even though it was a consistent practice among so many others mm-hmm. for 40 plus years and, mm-hmm. and and that's some of the material because this book which is nearly 600 pages mm-hmm. <laughs> doesn't feel like it thankfully um is a selection uh from the works that he published in his lifetime or, or finished whose uh, idea was it to put this book together it was tony conrad's uh, the story uh-huh. the book is published by the great uh, press out of Brooklyn, Primary Information, mm. who specialize in uh, new editions of rare and out-of-print um, uh, art and culture-related books. I saw, Tosh, you have on your bookshelf their box set of mm-hmm. Yeah, which is the uh, the Mimeo journal of Tully Kupferberg. The Fugs. The Fugs. Mm-hmm. They did that. And in 2011, they had a meeting with Tony about a book of his writings. And Tony... 
totally enthusiastically agreed to it and said, okay, I'm going to go work on it. Nice. He disappeared for about 18 months and showed back up with a nowhere near publishable complete <laughs> manuscript. And they all said, okay, let's take a little bit more time on this. Uh-huh. And um, he never finished it. Mm. He evidently was working on it from a uh, printout that he would carry around. Mm. Nobody's ever found that. And mm. um, knowing Tony, to be honest, who knows how far he actually ever got <laughs> on it. So when he was passing in 2016, uh, a number of people were uh, gathered around him in Buffalo, including myself uh-huh. uh, and Constance DeYoung. Uh-huh. And we were sort of given uh, dictums of what we were supposed to do. Uh-huh. And From Tony? From Tony. Uh-huh. And he had a number of projects and things that, and, and aspects of his career or archive that he needed mm-hmm. managed. And so those of us were there somehow. He pointed at us. And mm. the book of writings was the top of the list. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Well, I think it's because it was an obligation uh-huh. left unfulfilled, but mm. also because, you know, writing meant a lot to Tony. Clearly, right. he did it so much and in such depth. You know, some of the first uh, chapters in the book are all about writing and the importance of writing. So, yeah, exactly. It was important to him. Yeah. And um, so he said, you know, for Constance, uh, to take it on and um there was another book called what music did which is a separate book of his um music history conspiracy theory i don't know quite how to describe it uh, but his, his take on on music history uh, which is 800 pages plus of manuscript wow. that needs evidently quite heavy editing in which he exclusively wanted to be an academic book uh-huh. for academic people because it's like Tony's beef with the Academy. Mm-hmm. Like we don't need to involve normal people. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is this is just for this is just for the academics. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So one day that might see uh, the light. But mm. what ended up happening is that a lot of stuff uh, moved on in the next couple of years, and um, pub- primary information had actually announced the book years ago, mm. and then had to recall it, mm. and, and then. Had, um, had a real deadline to try to do it because of yeah. various reasons. And um, I was asked to work on it with Constance, um, which was a dream come true. Um, mm-hmm. She's incredible. And I never had a collaborative process with somebody like that where even when you disagreed, mm-hmm. it was a minute later you realize why you were wrong right. you know right. it just was like oh yeah it's she's a respectful right. disagreement respectful yeah. disagreement that went both ways and which actually maybe we disagreed on something twice and both times it took uh, one one <laughs> one oh let me just show you why oh yeah you're yeah. right uh-huh. mm-hmm. so nice. that was a really great thing yeah. and um you know the book as i said it's 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 sizable but there's was, a lot more. Was yeah. the writing all in one place, or do you have to hunt around for the for Yeah, the how did you decide what around. went into it? Um, you know, Tony's book, had he completed it, mm-hmm. would have been a combination of newly written material with older articles and things that he had pulled from his voluminous, like, unbelievable Yeah, I would archives. imagine there's probably quite a lot more than what's in this book. So Constance and I, our first decision was to try to stick because the writing tony conrad writings it had been a placeholder title Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it actually to me meant no that's what this book is it's not interviews Mm -hmm. it's not lectures necessarily transcribed at least Mm -hmm. you know maybe if there is a you know an actual written thing that a presentation but it's also because he taught for so long you know there's so many areas one could go Mm -hmm. and his archive it will take years to process through. He he never threw anything away, mm-hmm. and um, he kept multiples on yeah. top of it. Oh, God. So we wanted to stick with what had been both printed as well as uh, obviously completed, like it found mm-hmm. on a hard drive or mm-hmm. you know on his laptop. Like, mm-hmm. oh no, this work is done. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. that's that's where we stuck to because 
and I say this in the intro, hopefully this book inspires more people to do other books. Mm -hmm. And this isn't a one-shot deal. Right. If, if Tony Conrad is as important as we believe him to be, other yeah. people will believe us and mm -hmm. they will come along and do books. Mm -hmm. And so there's no trying to have uh, ownership over everything mm -hmm. yeah. and to also make a book that could be any bigger than this one already is <laughs> because this is enough Tony Conrad until the next round. Right. You know? Right. Um, and the searching process, more power to James Hoff and Matthew Walker uh, at Primary Information for taking the big lead in uh, library hunting, mm -hmm. going around, buying things off mm -hmm. ABE, getting things where they could from uh, other people who've written on Tony. And mm -hmm. I was able to contribute from uh, materials that I hadn't collected. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. Tony had a resume that he mm -hmm. kept, a massive resume. It mm -hmm. was 64 pages long. Wow. And it's completely inaccurate. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's not enough. You know, it, He's a devilish character, yeah, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. He forgot, uh -huh. he forgot whole books and, 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 and uh, films that he made. Uh -huh. um, but, sure he forgot? Or well, it was on purpose? <laughs> it was definitely... That was that, that bibliography. Yeah. Uh, there's a bibliography in another book had come out recently called Introducing Tony Conrad. Mm -hmm. um, there was a fantastic exhibition that a curator named Kathleen Chaffee did at the Albright Knox mm -hmm. in Buffalo. It toured to um, MIT, mm -hmm. to the List Center, and then to ICP mm -hmm. in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And there's a... Uh, Koenig, I believe, did a great book, multiple writers on Tony, mm -hmm. some of Tony's writings in it. But... Kathleen and Tina Rivers, her curatorial partner on that assistant, um, had compiled a bibliography. So between their bibliography, which we had access to while it was in process, mm -hmm. Tony's CV, mm. and just geek knowledge, mm -hmm. mm. uh, collective geek knowledge from a number of people who realized that they, <laughs> everybody was missing something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure we all missed even more. Yeah. Because Tony, Tony is... I've described him like this before. And, you know, we could probably pinpoint a bunch of other figures who are like this in different cultural scenes. Mm -hmm. But he's the safety pin that holds so many divergent mm -hmm. satellites of people and yeah. interests together. I mean, he he's between the the extremes of the experimental music world and, and, and you know, uh, Stockhausen mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. people like that in the 1960s. He's... Uh, involved with, but not a member of Fluxus. Mm -hmm. He has a lifelong association with Henry Flint, mm -hmm. uh, who's also a Fluxusite. Um, his wife uh, and he are, are fellow travelers, although he very carefully said, I was not part of the Warhol factory scene, but right. within. Mm -hmm. um, Jack Smith was his roommate. John Cale and he lived together. He was in the ostriches, uh, the primitives. I'm sorry, which is Lou Reed. Lou Reed, Walter De Maria, John Cale, and uh, you know the earliest incarnation mm -hmm. of what became the Velvets, and then down the line, you know, between being a teacher and um, a person who was just on the scene. If you lived in New York, Tony was around. Right. You know, he was always this goofy. Deadly funny, deadly serious guy, mm -hmm. and um, uh, he's like a, a river with a thousand tributaries wow. that come yeah. off it. I met Tony Conrad. Did you through Andy? Yes, uh -huh. here. And my meeting of him, uh, we were at the film anthology, working on a, 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 a something on my dad, Wallace Berman, and there was another gentleman in the room working on the mm -hmm. across the room. And he wore like day glow yellow pants with a bright orange T-shirt, <laughs> and he was he was he was editing film. He was looking at his films, and he was he was humming like Broadway tunes. That's my memory. <laughs> and I asked, and I said, "Who is this person?" He said, "Oh, that's Tony Conrad." Mm. And I thought, "I heard of Tony Conrad. But that's just clearly not the Tony Conrad <laughs> that I've heard of right. and know of the minimalist." Uh -huh. Velvet Underground. Right. You know, I expect that Tony Conrad to be all in black and, mm -hmm. you know, leather jacket. Uh -huh. or, that's my image of Tony uh -huh. Conrad. Not a guy wearing, you know, bright yellow yeah, pants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and, and not surprisingly or surprisingly, it, it, it was the actual Tony Conrad. Yeah. And I was very impressed 
that my whole vision of Tony Conrad is not was totally was made shattered. up. Yeah, shattered. Well, that's pleasantly shattered. That's great. I mean, that is great because that's one of the things that you know we were just talking about is that he has such a schism identity that you could perceive him to be the serious composer yeah. or the uh, intense filmmaker. Uh, but if, then if you see his videos, they're often quite humorous and out and goofy. Mm-hmm. Right, and, yeah. um, the severity of and, and high volume of his performances, plus the the uh, what I call the other day power clashing uh-huh. of his clothing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's just all these things come together in the most confusing um, and um, it, it, singularly Tony Conrad way. He's yeah. very accessible to me, to a general public, I think. Yeah. I mean, his work, his humor, especially his humor comes out. I think anybody could appreciate his sense of humor or, or get, the, you know, get the jokes, the humor of his work. Well, I think the humor is very present. And I think that in this writing, mm-hmm. this book, so many of the pieces, no, no matter what they're talking about. And, and, you know, he's he's a very intellectual person, but his voice and the perspective, just the skew of his perspective on things is mm-hmm. usually, we might say it's funny, but it's, it's, it's you know, uh, certainly eccentric. Yes. You know? And so it's, it's, a, it's, it's more of like a completely, as he was, he was charmingly eccentric. For person. me to watch him, there's like another surprise. I was totally seduced by his, his character and his personality. Yeah. Like I, want to, I could watch him for hours on a videotape being interviewed. Yeah. Just him looking at the camera, talking to the camera. Yeah. I could watch it forever. Yeah. 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 The, the thing I found really interesting about him was it was so clear that he loved to be challenged and that he had a really childlike curiosity. And that he, um, for him, it was almost like, okay, here's something that I don't know what it is. What can I do with this? And, you know, like those videos that were on uh, YouTube of the interviews he did shortly before he passed away, or he's talking about getting into different kinds of music and he's saying, I hated rock and roll. And I just forced myself to listen to it. And then I started liking it. And he's like, easy listening was the last last kind of music that I could finally get into, you know. And, and I was I was like dying to know what kind of easy listening music he actually liked. Well, I, uh, Tony Tony's music that he really, truly loved and the music that we were playing for him, you know, as he was exiting this world was Hawaiian music. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Love, he loved Hawaiian music. Oh, wow. Wow. I really appreciate it. Well, I was saying this the other day, too, about clothing mm-hmm. and um uh food with uh-huh. tony uh-huh. is that rather than being sustenance and um sort of a i look good in this or i don't look good in that it, they were all just little experiments mm-hmm. you know like he would order food that didn't it was cheap enough didn't, <laughs> didn't, didn't look desirable at all just to see what it was right and he would wear clothes despite it not fitting him. Yeah, he had this like, what if we do this attitude? Like completely yeah. reconfigure something and do a one eighty. He was very, um, you know, and and not it not it being something that felt like a put on, like or that it was no, it was more curiosity. It like, was where can we go? Absolute with this? natural yeah. curiosity and everything. You know, he told me once we were talking about early synthesizers, mm-hmm. Moogs and Arps and and whatnot, and. Um, I asked him if he'd ever gotten into that uh-huh. because the soundtrack of the flicker his first film is actually a synthesized soundtrack that mm. he made from a homemade synthesizer and it's just this kind of, mm. kind of tone and um i said did you ever meet moog or you know everything was in the air in new york mm-hmm. and he said no i was never interested in that those mm-hmm. were systems of control Hmm. I don't, they make a box and they show me how to use it and I plug it in and then I can make the sounds that they tell me to make or I can find my own way of playing it. But then so did that guy. Hmm. And he never wanted that. It was always Hmm. about um, uh, trying it a different way and deconstructing it and being anti-authoritarian in a way and realizing that everything that's inherited is a form of authority mm-hmm. and then going back down to as he does in this book constantly questioning the roots of almost western knowledge mm-hmm. through challenging the math of pythagoras mm-hmm. or looking at the construction of music form through the court in uh 15th century france mm-hmm. uh, which is a consistent theme mm-hmm. and he comes back to throughout the book yeah and so on top of being 
anti-authoritarian, he actually has, whether they make sense or not, or that we can understand them, almost mathematically precise explanations for why we're wrong, <laughs> you know? And um, that was such an amazing aspect of Tony is that um, his creativity really seemed to come from another um, ideological perspective than mm-hmm. anybody who's called a minimalist, right. you know, or, or, you know, harmony problem for Tony, mm-hmm. you know, uh, melody problem for Tony, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, he's not interested in notes. He's interested in pitches mm-hmm. and intervals. It's just, it's, it's, it's very deconstructive. Yeah. Hmm. Now I, and I also thought it was really interesting. He constantly was, uh, talking about, um, you know, what is art and what is the relationship, especially a film to art and, you know, how can film become art with a capital A? Like, it could tell he had a very tense relationship with the art world, sort of the established art world. But then at the same time, he was constantly sort of saying, well, how can film finally be accepted in the art world? And I thought it was really interesting. He was talking about how, you know, the reproducibility of film and... Um, it made me think of the Benjamin essay. You know, mm, yeah, art, sure. In the, in the time of... He, a, in the book, he, t- he talks about how art films are shown like in a gallery space. They're like a filmmaker. You know, like, like a, a filmmaker is always shown in a movie theater. Well, right. he yeah, had an experience going to a Documenta uh-huh. in Germany in the early 70s, um, which is, you know, the landmark exhibitions. And um, he got there and... He, there's this big castle where all the art's happening. Mm-hmm. And then he finds out that his thing is happening in the movie theater on the other side of town. Mm-hmm. So you're not even in the same venue. I mean, mm-hmm. in, in New York City, if you go to MoMA, the brilliant, brand new, redesigned, really quite wonderful MoMA, mm. there's a lot of media upstairs, but mm-hmm. film is still in the basement. Mm-hmm. Ah. So it is. It's a, a Tony is dealing with what I call in terms of film's relationship to capital A art, separate but equal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That film is an art unto itself, but it becomes instantly problematic when it can't just hang on a wall yeah. and when it gets put into any kind of commercialized context because mm-hmm. how is it sold? Yeah. You know, and um, it's something that is a, a focus of, throughout the book, but, you know, thinking of, of kind of... Um, media as a tool mm-hmm. rather than as a commodity mm-hmm. there's a lot in here particularly in his era of working with um public television mm. and public access mm-hmm. of uh, media making and even art making through collective practice mm-hmm. and not just the making but an area of concern is the the distribution the dissemination yeah. where does it go yeah. who who is seeing it yeah so um it's a really as far as a critical approach he's thinking about and describing in this book so often systems mm-hmm. you know the systems of how these things operate and where yeah. they operate in yeah. and that's you know that's that's very tony now how did he feel about finally getting accepted and having his work <coughs> put into museums and being collected by museums i'm sure he's very happy <laughs> uh, good for him you know people people tend to like attention sure, uh, sure. money mm-hmm. uh, yeah, fame no, I'm sure he was very happy because he took it as opportunities. But, you know, I remember he had his first, you know, already 60-something-year-old, but, like, truly commercial breakthrough uh, exhibition uh-huh. with Green Naftali in New York City of his Yellow Movies, these pieces that I described earlier right. from the early 70s. And um, they really hit with the zeitgeist. I mean, they, they, they look – they're good pieces, obviously, but – in the moment in which they were re-earthed, you know, mm-hmm. they looked right for the times. And mm-hmm. they they quickly vaulted him into a, um overnight success story, mm-hmm. as often happens to people who've been working for 50 years, and who already has subterranean kinghood, mm-hmm. you know. Right. But here he is moving in, back into where maybe he could have been all this time, yeah. uh, the commercial art world. And the next thing after his big show <laughs> that he was going to do is Tony 
And he eventually did get, it was his final show at the gallery. A couple happened in between, but I don't think the gallery was too stoked on the next project, which was um, he found somewhere to buy extra, extra, extra large men's underpants. <laughs> and he would uh, like make them look like they'd been shit in. Oh, and no. then he was pinning them to like cork boards. Like you know, for like, I think I saw some video of him painting these. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like like you, you would hang notes on them in your office. Oh god. Um, and then he, you know, uh, wanted to have a show, and uh, his his gallerist was not exactly probably thrilled about it. Right. And you know, they are to me definitive Tony Conrad <laughs> works. Uh-huh. Like 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 it's like the punk rock thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's just like. Like that's a Marky Smith move or something. I don't know. Like that's just that's really mm-hmm. the right move. Yeah. Uh-huh. For yeah. your for your sophomore uh, <laughs> thing. But uh it was, you know, not um career oriented. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think that no matter what happened with Tony in terms of success, it didn't re angle his like attempt to con- continue moving in that direction mm-hmm. he was yeah. going to do whatever he wanted yeah. and he did you know and he had exhibition opportunities uh globally he had two galleries he had another one in cologne um uh buchholz gallery and um you know the music career always continued he continued as well to teach mm-hmm. in buffalo he wanted to retire but um stuck on with it and um was he a popular teacher I would imagine he's so charming. I mean, when I watch the interviews, I can imagine he must have been. I think you either got sure. with Tony, or you didn't get with Tony. Yeah. Mm. I had an experience. It's the first time I ever taught was for Tony. Tony was going to Europe, uh, and he called me and asked if I would come and substitute his class up in Buffalo, which meant mm. flying up to Buffalo and um, being there for like two nights or something. It was mm-hmm. an undergraduate class and a graduate class. Mm-hmm. Again, I had never taught. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went. I went up. Julia's assistant picked me up. We went to the University of Buffalo. Mm-hmm. He hadn't actually told me what the courses were, so I hadn't prepared anything. Mm. And when I got in the car with her, she told me the first class was going to be the history of video art. Wow. Which, of course, I could probably bullshit around and teach a course on, uh-huh. but I don't know where in the semester they were. I didn't right, know what they already know. Right, yeah. And when I got there, I also didn't realize that it was like a seminar class with like 100 students oh, in wow. it. Mm. And they're mm. all just like, goofs and bros no, and, um, and <laughs> i got and, <laughs> and i got up in front of the uh group and i said hey i'm very happy to be here today thanks i'm your teacher andrew lampert i'm from new york and um you're all really lucky to have tony conrad as your teacher uh-huh. and these blank faces are looking at me wow and i said you guys you know who tony conrad is right and there's still no reaction i said well um he made one of the most important movies of the underground cinema, The Flicker. Uh-huh. And people are just staring at me. And I said, wow. you know, Flicker is like it's a film and mm-hmm. there's alternating frames of black and white. <laughs> and I can just tell that they have no clue what a film is or what a frame <laughs> what is. A film is. And, oh, that's um, so sad. <laughs> and then I, I'm like stymied. And I said, and you know, he's also the guy who named The Velvet Underground. Uh. And like, you know, like, Ten dudes in the in the room were like, "What?" <laughs> and you can see in their faces, like the guy who just yaps at us every week. Uh, you know? the yellow pants. Yeah, with the yellow pants. Like they had no idea. And when I when Tony came back, the uh, the you know next week or so, he he went from calling me and saying, "Andrew." What did you do? Uh, they, they, they pay so much attention, you know? Oh, and, wow. and so that was like hysterical to me. But oh, wow. I think that Tony, um, I love Tony. You know, you'll always hear nice things about Tony, but Tony was also a maniac. Yeah. And so he, uh, you liked him or you didn't like him. Right. You know, he's I, I, one of those people, somebody said, oh, I had a crazy night with Tony once and all this stuff happened. I go, Oh, yeah, I believe you. Uh-huh. I know, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. You know, uh-huh. He screamed at me and told me that my work was shit. I'm like, yeah. Well, <laughs> Maybe it is. Yeah, I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know. Do you still make work? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> How was your relationship with Tony? Um, it was good. Mm-hmm. I mean, I met Tony in um, 1998. Mm-hmm. 
not that he would probably remember it, uh, but he had given a lecture uh, against Pythagoras <laughs> on uh, his position, and I attended it and um, in New York at Anthology Film Archives. And uh, I don't remember understanding much of what he was talking about, but of course being intrigued. Mm -hmm. And I first knew Tony through music, you know, um, through the reissue of his music in the 90s. And, um, uh, you know, so even the idea of him giving a talk was the legend, Tony mm -hmm. Conrad, giving mm -hmm. a talk. Mm -hmm. uh, and then over the years, uh, came to meet him again in different ways. And when I became the archivist and anthology, mm -hmm. um, actually, two people I've done books on, the Kuchar brothers, mm -hmm. um, George Kuchar, and Tony Conrad were the first two, and and um, Wallace Berman oh. were probably the first three projects that I picked up. Um, Anthology has, for years, annually showed the Flickr as part of its repertory cinema cycle called The Essential Cinema. Nice. And the print had uh, gone vinegar. It had, mm. had rotted. And... Um, so I worked with Tony on a project to preserve that, mm -hmm. uh, a film called Straight and Narrow, a film called um, Film Feedback, and other works. Mm -hmm. And that became that began a long association of uh, working with Tony in various capacities on preservation projects, um, uh, performing with him in uh, various contexts, you know, uh, including a piece uh, that he originally did in the 1970s with Reese Chatham and Laurie Spiegel called um, 10 Years Alive on the Infinite Plane, but um, which we revived uh, in the 2000s, Jim O'Rourke and myself oh, uh, nice. working with him. Um, getting his videos like the Studio of the Streets, um, uh, cable access shows, mm -hmm. digitized, and just always having a really, you know, close and warm relation with him. And going up to Buffalo to visit. Um, as Tosh mentions, him stopping by my office to do something or another. Mm -hmm. And, and mm -hmm. you know, so uh, it was quite good. And when I left Anthology in late 2015, really without a course uh, or a plan, mm -hmm. Tony called and said, hey, what are you doing? And um, I started working with him to organize his crazy huge archive, wow. multimedia archive of things. And um, a number of months later, four months later, I guess he passed. Hmm. And, um, uh, you know, for the last couple of years in different ways, uh, I have, uh, including this book, obviously, worked with his estate on... Hmm. Um, some of those projects and trying to um, continue digging out mm. gold, yeah. you know, and uh, yeah. So Tony was for me very uh, important in my life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it was just somebody who you know was we're losing so many of them lately, and I've been very lucky. And yeah, we all have to mm -hmm. know a number of luminaries and mm -hmm. to have like a primary witness stories about yeah. things and understanding and context uh, uh in the world of arts and culture that i swim in mm -hmm. you know that we all we all yeah. we all just occupy so yeah. tony was uh was a model of how to become an old eccentric mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, 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 iconic yes, yes. He, does, he always does, he doesn't strike me as an old man he had the most useful. No. He and Jonas make us yeah. mm -hmm. uh, both. Jonas, who, of course, died this year, yeah. uh, last year mm -hmm. now, uh, at 96 years old. Yeah. Uh, youthful energy by staying around young people mm -hmm. yeah. and not being a vampire. Mm -hmm. It wasn't some sort of uh, sucking the energy yeah, out of young I people. Think it was, it a was just curiosity. I think you're you right. Know, the mind was continually active. They kept. They were always interested mm. in things. I think that's what and there was not judgment about experience or age. Right. It was about hey, what you're doing? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Oh yeah, we should do this together. Yeah, you know, and it wasn't even necessarily always about ownership of right. things. You know, it was about the experiment. Yeah, yeah, nice. 
Really nice. How do you know how he got together with Faust? Is there a story behind that? There is. I'm not sure I would be telling it correctly, but he was in Germany. Um, in fact, there is a book, I believe, mm. that Brandon Joseph wrote called The Row and the Cooked um, that details Tony and Beverly, mm. uh, their experiences in Germany in the early 70s because Tony is involved with doing things with Documenta mm. uh, in tandem with or working I think for Lamont Young, mm -hmm. um, showing his own work, touring around, and meeting up with other big groups of uh, similarly standout, mm -hmm. weird, mm -hmm. you know, legendary uh, artists, <laughs> um, including um, Gunter Bruce, mm -hmm. I believe. Tony was with him for a while. Um, and through Yui Nettlebeck, um, the producer of Faust, uh -huh. um, somehow... Connected. There's some connection there. I'm not quite sure. The funny story about it is that they recorded it. Mm -hmm. um, and the tapes just sat. Tony went back to uh, Buffalo, mm -hmm. or probably Ohio, and um, somehow randomly, much later, he found out the record had come out. Oh, he mm -hmm. had no idea. Uh -huh. and like, oh, wow. like it just seemed to have stalled or something. Uh -huh. And then uh, I believe it's on Caroline, mm -hmm. uh, so it's a virgin sort of subprint. Mm -hmm. And I thought they never sent him copies. I mean, he only had—I only ever found one copy, original copy mm -hmm. of the record in his collection. Mm -hmm. So he just sort of found out that the record came out. Mm -hmm. And the fact that that—it gives hope to anybody that you can put out a legendary record because <laughs> nobody knows it. So everybody who's never sold one thing yes. uh, or who's been screwed over by somebody, yes. your day is coming. Well, that comes to, this comes to another subject matter. Uh, we're running late, but I'm going to ask this question. Uh, his relationship with Lamont Young, they made a lot of music I wanted together. to ask about that, too. They yeah. made a lot of music. Him, John Cale, yeah, uh, uh, Lamont Young, and Lamont Young's wife, Marianne's Mary Zazila. So they made... And, and others, but and, and those they, are the and they, they rehearsed, they recorded music, and then what happened? I mean, like, he left the group, uh, Conrad, right, I guess, eventually. I gather there's some tension there from the book. <laughs> um, Lamont Young in Berkeley in the late 50s writes Trio for Strings, which mm. is... Uh, uh, string trio that has extremely long movements to it. I think the first notes held for four minutes <laughs> and uh, or something like that. And so it's this landmark of it blew people's minds. It was already, you know, born legendary. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, Tony and somehow or another came into contact with Lamont. Um, when Tony was in Harvard, he would come down to visit Lamont. Uh, Lamont also, I believe, was one of the first people he met who had like marijuana and things like mm -hmm. that. So, you know, Lamont was this uh, trap door to another reality. And um, Tony, being the mathematician, was very interested already in these um, intervals and tuning systems and things that uh, alone and then in, together with Lamont, um, they developed. Uh, Lamont of course, having an interest in durations and both of them being quite interested in uh, non-Western forms of, of music and the idea of there being no composer, mm -hmm. you know, like a raga. There's mm -hmm. nobody who wrote the raga. There's only the performer of the raga. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's night music and there's day music. And this uh, really influenced how they thought in terms of, um, like Lamont has a composition that you know takes a year to perform or something like that. You know, it's very conceptual practices. And Angus McLeese makes a new calendar, um, the drummer of the band that has made up days: day of Niagara, day of the jackal. You know, like that's Wednesday. You know, but that's what they call it. Now. And um, you know, so they started really playing with um, sound. Mm -hmm. You know, time volume mm -hmm. um and in this ensemble where kale played viola um tony played violin marion and lamont sang lamont also played saxophone and there were oscillators to produce sine wave tones and they performed for years um rehearsing very often performing publicly um and really they lamont is 
I, I wasn't alive, but read mm-hmm. a book and you come to understand it kind of goes in terms of the 20th century American music, you know, largely American avant-garde. This is completely reductive, but mm-hmm. um, Schoenberg, Cage, Lamont Young. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Lamont Young is the next new thing yeah. mm-hmm. after Cage. And um, they're, they're, you know, the height of avant-garde music, yeah. uh, or one of the heights. And they recorded everything, rehearsals. Mm-hmm. Tony was the recordist for the most part. Uh, but Lamont kept the tapes. Mm-hmm. And as things happen, you know, people go various directions. John Cale went to the other underground. Um, Tony got more involved with the filmmaking. And um, um, they the band changed. Lamont was working with different people. Tony didn't abandon music, but it became downplayed as part of his practice and for many years. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point after the heyday, Tony and also Cale presumably others wanted copies of the music wanted to hear it yeah not to say that they wanted to because nobody in the world would have wanted it at this point anyway but wanted to put out box sets of it or Mm -hmm. but just to hear what they had done because it had been so thoroughly documented and lamont then and to this day has refused to release the tapes in his possession Mm -hmm. they are in the building that houses the dream house in new york where he and marion live there's a floor where their light and sound installations on display, they live on another floor, and then there's a floor of, of archive. Um, Lamont is a sort of, you know, completist mm-hmm. in documenting his own work, but refuses to release. Has he said why? Almost he any of it. To? Well, he told Tony and John that they would be able to access it if they would sign uh, an agreement that stated explicitly that Lamont Young was the sole composer, oh, copyright owner, and yeah. uh, what have you of the music. Mm. And, of course, they uh, refused to do it. There were, you know, I'm sure multiple attempts or discussions over the years. And by the early 1990s, Tony, uh, at a performance of Lamont Young's in Buffalo, picketed mm-hmm. outside. Um, and um, it galvanized him to start on one of the musical projects that actually created his resurgence as a musician, which is something called early minimalism. Mm -hmm. Um, He decided that if Lamont was not going to give him back his music Mm -hmm. based on his math and the principles that Lamont was influenced by and which they furthered together, Mm -hmm. that he was going to recreate what they were doing in his own hand solo so he started to write uh and he did a a suite of pieces called early minimalism um that uh have specific times like it might be like august 1964 Mm. you know based on 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 tony's you know research into what they were doing and his memory and his Mm -hmm. everything Mm -hmm. he you know these are kind of reconstructions in a way but as composed music as tony conrad's Mm -hmm. music Mm. so they have this very 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 strange relationship and um uh it speaks poorly of lamont young Mm -hmm. uh to my mind yeah um and who there's no arguing his status as a composer but in a way he's been able to maintain that by so limiting access to his music Mm -hmm. so that one can't judge quality content merits it so the further away it's kept, the more it has this glistening um, rarity. It's yeah. like it's like a record that's hanging on the wall that costs um, two thousand dollars, and you go, "What is that?" They go, "Oh, it's this great surf record. <laughs> it's the greatest surf record ever." What's it sound like? Well, it's just two thousand dollars. I can't play it for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. We, heard, we heard rumors that we, we heard stories how great. Yeah, it yeah. 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 Uh-huh. Like that preciosity just just kind of takes away from the whole thing. To to my mind, and I'm not arguing from all the Lamont Young music I've heard. Mm-hmm. I mean, much of it is quite excellent. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not denigrating his. His role. No, Luna and I saw some not too long ago that we enjoyed. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just that with uh, the denial of what was a group project, yeah. which in Tony's words, as he says in the book, was about yeah. the eradication of the composer, mm-hmm. of this this tyrannical, controlling, yeah. determining figure who who has um, changed 
it's certainly on a global scale looking again at it you know um musics of the world yeah. you know this 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 western notion of the composer is to destroy that and then lamont after the fact says no i need to be identified right. as the composer right. of, of our collectively created music yeah so it's a big drawing line kind of down the world between tony and lamont people i yeah. had a conversation somebody somebody recently who i don't know but i met and um they were on uh the lamont team mm. <laughs> and uh I, I just think it's really funny that you could have it's almost like a Beatles uh, Stones. Yes. Right. Thing. Right. <laughs> are you are you a rocker yeah, or are you a mod? Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Huh. Wait, you like Excel on Main Street yeah. or do you? Yeah. Like, don't, uh, don't bring that up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. There. Or the White Album. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, treading on dangerous territory. Dangerous. Here. That's why I went there. I'm sorry. I, oh, I, ret- I retract. It's okay. It's okay. It will. It will pass. It will pass. Um, well, this has been an enjoyable show. I know. Thank you. You so should much. have guests. I, 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 yeah, I've been pushing for it for a while, and so I was we very all, excited we, when I'm he speaking, said you were in town. Speaking for guests, uh, advocating yeah. for guests, yeah. uh, we went in. Yeah. Well, now you are fantastic, and the book is fantastic. It's a great Tony Conrad great writings. Um, it was new for me. It was a great rabbit hole to go down. I think it's a great introduction to his work. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. I enjoy Tony Conrad in general. I'm a huge fan. I am too. I'm uh, very happy. And again, yeah, I, I, I would recommend people to go on YouTube to watch these yeah. half-an-hour lectures. Like there's five episodes so far. Yeah, the, there's uh, the what Tasha's talking about are these um, uh, videos of Tony answering questions that were released after he passed away. Mm-hmm. There's also a documentary called Tony Conrad, completely in the present. By Tyler Hubby. Um, Excellent documentary. I tried to find it. I can't find it anywhere. It's coming out this month in January, oh, oh, okay. uh, I believe, Excellent. through Apple. Apple and iTunes. Oh, iTunes through, okay. through, through streaming oh, services. Yeah, because yeah. I saw a preview for it and it looked really good. It's, yeah. great. it's excellent. It's, it's great a great movie. starting point. And yeah. I would say with this book, it's uh, it, it covers all aspects of his life and career. And that um, one can jump around in it. Yeah. You know, all over the place, mm. and and get um, uh, Tony on any subject. Yeah. You know, from camouflage to yeah, that was a really good chapter. That was super interesting. Yeah, to what is art? Yeah. To uh, uh, you know, autobiographical writing and yeah. even um, fiction. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So what are we doing next? What's our next show? Okay, so our next show we're going to be doing Bowie's bookshelf. Bowie, Tony Conrad, the dead of Bowie. Bowie. Yes, we've done uh, Shangri Laws. We have done. We did Tony Conrad, Lou Reed. Yeah, Wendy Bowie. Carlos. Wendy Carlos. We were just talking wow. about the Vogue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ooh, we're traveling around the world. We here. are really. So yeah, Bowie's bookshelf: the hundred books that changed David Bowie's life by John O'Connell, mm. where he sort of goes through that list that's been online for a couple of years now. Oh right. And he goes through and sort of looks at how he perceives each book to have influenced. I'm really Bowie. looking. I'm looking forward to. So, Doing that should book. be interesting, mm-hmm. yeah. So right. thank you so much, Andrew. This was really great. Thank mm-hmm. you. And uh, yeah, you can uh, find all the information about our uh, books to come and mm-hmm. anything else, our social media on our website, bookmusic.com, B-O-O-K-M-U-S-I-K.com. Thank you. Goodbye.